Hello everyone, this is Jamie DiPolo. I'm the senior editor at breastcancer.org. Welcome to the breastcancer.org podcast. Our guest today is Roz Kleban, who is a licensed clinical social worker, who is a clinical supervisor and program coordinator at the Breast Imaging Center at Memorial Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. Roz has worked at Memorial Sloan Kettering since 1989, and she works with patients being treated for all stages of breast cancer. And our focus today is going to be on metastatic disease and how, as Roz has written a very, very informative and insightful article called that metastatic is the new C word, and how sometimes metastatic gets put in a closet and people don't want to talk about it. So welcome, Roz. It's so delightful to have you here today. I feel that we're very fortunate, and I think this is going to be a great podcast. Well, I'm very pleased to have been invited, and this is an organization that has spent years doing only good things for patients. Oh, well, thank you. So now let's just go right into it. Breast cancer is talked about openly. We have pink ribbons. We have walks. We have all sorts of fundraising things. Um, but in most cases, we're talking about early stage disease. The the whole idea of I've beaten breast cancer and now I'm getting on with my life. And metastatic disease that, you know, people who are living with cancer but are refusing to be beaten by it, for them it's a chronic condition, um, it still seems to be very much in the closet. And is is that fear, or, or what, what's going on there? Well, for most of my career, it has become apparent to me that uh, when uh, Betty Ford came out of the closet and Happy Rockefeller, they did a tremendous amount of breast cancer um, all, all around, and it became no longer something that people wished and were frightened of. It's a disease that they could beat, they could win, and as 20, 25 years ago, as I was doing it, I saw that very clearly there's this population of people that is sort of hushed and shushed and is never talked about, and so you ask, is that fear? I would think that that's fear, and certainly when it comes to raising money, what you want is to um, spread a rosy picture of look what we can do and, and look what we can achieve and conquer. But by excluding this population, you do um, a disservice to those people struggling with that illness, and you do a disservice to everybody. Um, Having breast cancer is not a race and a picnic and a fun afternoon, as it is unfortunately sometimes portrayed, uh, but it is a whole continuum of what can happen to somebody. And so, yes, I certainly think it's fear. It's not looking on the better side of breast cancer. It just, however, is real, and it's only the humane, um, realistic thing to do is to acknowledge this population. I think also if we bring this group into the into the public's eye, I think it will do a, go a long way to reduce some of the fear because women who are diagnosed with this feel that it's an instant death sentence. You know, I see people being diagnosed and and they're wondering if they'll make it to Christmas. You know, will they see their daughter get married? The truth is, is that we have a a lot of women, a lot of patients living a very long time with this illness because of the improvements in treatment. Certainly for that HER2 population, there has been an enormous step forward. One of uh, the doctors here as well calls um, suspecting a real game changer. So with knowledge, comes power and people will understand that this is not a death sentence. Right. And metastatic, metastatic is not the end of hope. 
I mean, it is right. I think that we look at uh, hope only in one way. What is hope? Hope is secure and hope is, uh, is for long life. And like everything else, the concept of hope is very complex. And there's hope for all kinds of things. And perhaps we would all be better served by looking at things in the immediate time now as opposed to the future. So hope is to... I don't know, finish a project, hoping to get the, the degree that you had always wanted, hoping to improve a relationship that was meaningful and dear to you. So there is hope in, in all realms of our life, hope to co improve communication with friends and relatives. It's not just one thing. Um, I think if we got to know the um, metastatic population, their continued lives is just the very picture of hope. Okay. And, and there, this population, I think you said this, is growing because as treatments have gotten better, more and more women and men are living with metastatic disease. And it's, it's a chronic condition. It's like diabetes. It's like arthritis. It's something that you have, but it's being treated and you're going to continue to be treated. I think generally when uh, our patients are newly diagnosed with stage four disease, what the doctor often will say is at this time, we can't cure this, but we can treat it mm -hmm. and we can turn it into a chronic illness and you could go and live your life. So that when people ask who are the patients with uh, metastatic disease, well, the people in your class, the people behind you or in front of you online at the supermarket, they're at the PTA meeting, they're on the tennis court, they're in the theater, they're living their lives. Uh, I think we have a tendency to not pay attention to this crowd, and therefore we have awful ideas and visions as to who they are. I mean, we could think about Lynn Redgrave, who had metastatic disease and did a one woman, woman show right up until the end of her life. She continued to live her life. Mm -hmm. as, do, as do most of the other patients. Sure, absolutely. And, and how, do we, how do we work to get that message out there? I mean, I know you're working very hard, but the rest of us, how do we, how do, we do that? How do we get that message out there? Well, truthfully, um, things have improved tremendously over the past five to eight years. And the best evidence of that is this podcast that we're doing. Ten years ago, this would not have been done. Ten years ago, every time there would be a conference, either a, a Coleman conference, a breastcancer.org conference, it, there would be no mention of metastatic disease. And now there always is a um, lectures for metastatic disease, breakout sessions. We just have to keep on pushing this. And during Breast Cancer Awareness Month, where there is an abundance of, I beat it, I did it, I won. Mm -hmm. There's got to be an equal push about who metastatic patients are. And it's, it's happening. I suppose we have to be patient, but we have to keep pushing. I don't know how many people know that October 13th is breast, uh, Metastatic Breast Cancer Awareness Day because there is this Metastatic Breast Cancer Network, an organization that lobbied lobby congressmen to actually have that put through. So the more publicity that we have, the more awareness that we have, look how much we've learned about breast cancer, just because of the awareness, we have to do the same thing for metastatic people. 
And along with the awareness, we have to have services. So because this, this, the tragedy is there's so much breast cancer, there are breast cancer support groups all over the place. We have to see to it that there are also support groups for women with advanced disease. Um, I, I, years ago, I did a survey about how many of them there were in the entire country, and it was very few. But I would certainly hope that there's more now. In a place like New York City, there's still very few. So I have people who live in New York City, not treated as Sloan, coming to my um, metastatic groups because there are so few. So it's awareness and it's intervention and it's services. Okay, that, that brings up an interesting point, too, because I know we have discussion boards on our site, and some of the women there will say, well, if they've been diagnosed with metastatic disease, well, I went to a support group, but it was for survivors or a lot of people with early stage disease, and they didn't feel comfortable. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about um, the needs of a woman with metastatic disease versus the needs of a woman with early stage disease. I'm assuming those needs are different. Um, the needs are very different, and because I have such a large population here, I have the ability to separate the two. I don't think you you um, service anybody by putting those two uh, groups together because they have vastly different needs. The people with early stage, their life has really been uh, shaken up. They sort of um, have been plucked out of their life and gives thought to all kinds of issues and coping in the future, but it's time limited. They know for a fact that at such and such a date, all will end. They finish chemo, they finish surgery, they finish radiation or some combination. Metastatic is different because as, as we've already said, it's a chronic disease. It therefore affects everything in your life and it will. It will for many years and the good news is hopefully for many, many years. So it, there are different needs, there are different goals, the coping is lifelong, the effect on relationships is lifelong, on relationships, on the ability to have children for the young people, mm-hmm. on careers. So it is entirely different. The two people can't, the two different stages can't really help each other. So um, when I speak to people out of town, I always caution them to find a group that's dealing with the stage that they're at because that will be the most helpful. Okay. Um, And that also brings up another good point. Um, Do you have any recommendations for someone who's been diagnosed with metastatic disease and maybe they feel a little bit isolated because their family and friends seem to be pulling back a little bit because perhaps they don't understand it. As you said, maybe they're scared. They don't know that there's a lot of hope surrounding that kind of diagnosis. What what would you advise somebody? How do they sort of overcome that hesitation? I think the best thing to do is to probably to find a community uh, where you'll be with other people who are struggling to cope with the same situation. Uh, what these groups do for each, for members is to help each other cope. You know what I can't figure out. Maybe my my friend next door can help me. She's already been there. So I would suggest to seek out a group. When that is not possible, there is always a metastatic breast cancer network that is an online 
uh, forum that has a chat board. They have yearly conferences. In that way, you will get to meet other people. And the discussion is how did you handle it with your loved ones, with your relatives, and with your community? I think once a patient gets confidence um, and can figure out what the meaning of this is, how it will affect her life, it will be easier to talk to friends and relatives, but you really can't until you get your bearing. And you need to portray yourself and your needs to those around you. But I think it's best if you can get the support of others in that situation. Uh, Young Survival uh, Coalition does a monthly um, telephone group. Because, you know, I, I met women, you know, at some of these conferences who live in small towns and have never met somebody else with the illness. So they really have to reach out to find these other sources. Okay. And I would put in a small plug, too, on the breastcancer.org discussion boards. We have several forums that are for metastatic disease only. And I know that people have told us they found those very helpful because they can chat virtually with other women who have the same diagnosis, perhaps with even the same type of breast cancer. So that's one well, other place I, you people know, can go. Jamie, I was going to ask that when yep. I finished, what does breastcancer.org have to offer? Because yep. I know that the organization has so much to offer. But thank you for saying that because we need as much as we possibly can. And I know that if breastcancer.org is doing it, it's being done responsibly. Oh, thank you. Yes. And, and we have had several good comments from the people on those boards. So I know that they are finding it helpful. Um, and this is a, another thing you mentioned earlier, too. When, when somebody who has metastatic disease, um, if you're meeting new people, if you're in the workplace, um, you know, for you, it's, it's part of your life. It's part of who you are. How, does, how do you recommend kind of broaching that subject as you become friends with new people, if perhaps it's a new romantic interest? How, are, are there ways to handle that? Well, there's no one way to handle it. Everybody feels very differently about it. I think when it comes to employment, uh, the, the first of all, there are laws, laws against discriminating a person um, because the, um, they have an illness or a disability. Mm-hmm. However, that's an awfully hard thing to prove. So you want to really understand your organization and, and, and see if it's in your best interest that they know or not. Mm-hmm. But then it becomes a very personal experience. I think that I'm always in favor of people being um, upfront and honest because there's a notion that that which we hide are things that we are ashamed of. Um, that's what we keep secrets about. And there's certainly no shame to having an illness like that. Having said that, everybody needs to come to their own conclusion. And I think as people become more comfortable with being in this position, they find it easier to share with people in in, in their outside world. Keeping it a secret very often becomes onerous. You know, how come you disappear for two hours on Thursday? And how is it that every other Wednesday you're missing uh, and, and losing hair or not losing hair? Keeping this quiet becomes very burdensome and onerous. But the bottom line is that that women, well, men and women have to do uh, whatever they're most comfortable with. Okay. And I'm also curious about your opinions about exercise or uh, volunteering, patient retreats. Do you think those kinds of things are therapeutic 
for somebody with metastatic disease? And again, that's kind of going back to the idea of somebody feels isolated um, or that, you know, they want to figure out a way to make a difference because maybe they've been helped by somebody else in their life when they were uh, struggling a bit. Um, you know, are the, are, do you recommend those kinds of things? Well, you know, again, as in, as in speaking to people, it depends upon who you are and what is helpful. Certainly, um, exercise is wonderful. I mean, I think they have all kinds of information that exercise for everybody is helpful. And I think for a person with an illness like this, exercise promotes the feeling of being well and strong and healthy, so that that could only be good. As far as the retreats go and all of those um, other modalities, it does promote something of a um, community, mm-hmm. which is only good. But you want to measure that with not living your life as the cancer patient. So exercise is good, and we have wonderful exercise classes here at Sloan. But a person could also go to a, a regular gym. You know, mm-hmm. you are part of the normal population, but you have a, a, a diagnosis. So it's. It's just how it affects you. Do you want to make all of your vacation cancer retreats? Probably not. However, if in your community you have little opportunity to be with other people, then perhaps the retreat is the thing that would be most helpful. So it's it, all in all, all of these things are good, and how much and how often you participate is a very personal and needs to be tailor-fit to your situation. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm also curious too. I know that there's not really um, a specific age for metastatic diagnosis because some young women are diagnosed with metastatic disease and that's their first diagnosis. Um, Some other older women may have a recurrence that's metastatic. When you're um, setting up your support groups, is is there any value to grouping people by age or is it is there some other sort of common denominator that people find helpful and comforting and, and builds a sense of community faster or better? Well, I do find in this situation, unlike the early stage patient, in this situation I find um, age to be enormously important so that I have two groups of um, patients, of advanced disease patients. One is the young people and adult people. Everybody asks me, what's the age range? That's such a hard thing to answer. (laughs) You know, so what I'd like to say is 45 and under, but if I have a 50-year-old woman who has two children, ages 6, 9, and 11, Mm -hmm. she's more appropriate in the young people's group than in the older people's group. The issues are very different. When a 65-year-old is diagnosed with metastatic disease, she can continue whatever it is she's doing. She has most likely already had her children. Mm-hmm. At about that age, she probably already has grandchildren. She, Whether she's working or not, she most likely has achieved much in um, her profession. Mm-hmm. The young person, this gets them right at the time when they are doing more in their profession when they're looking to rise up and to accomplish more. It gets them at the time when they're just beginning to have a family or beginning to think about having a family. And if they actually do have a family, then then how does this fit in with raising, you know, children ages two, three, four, and five, and how to include the children or not include 
So major milestones of a person's life are much more affected uh, when, it, when this hits a young person than an older person. So then I think it's necessary to keep the two groups separate uh, because then we could deal with the pertinent issues for each group. Okay, that makes that makes sense. Um, I'm also curious too. Many people with illnesses use sites such as Caring Bridge or, or blogs or other other websites to keep their friends and loved ones up to date. Um, does this? Do you think this works for people with metastatic disease? Because it seems like it would just be ongoing, and maybe that's great. I don't know. I'm, I'm honestly curious if if people find that helpful. Well, I uh, Carrie Bridge is a wonderful notion and idea, and I have seen that used very successfully for people who are really at the end stages of life. Okay. They are hospitalized or they're at home hospice, and things are changing, and uh, the family should not be bombarded with 20, 30 phone calls a day, and they could pass information off like that. However, for the average woman with metastatic disease, you know, she, she has her life, and what's important in her life is whether or not she got the promotion or didn't get the promotion. Did she, um, is she able to take the time to go on that trip that she wants to go on? That's the news that she should be spending time talking about. The, I think what I would like for people with advanced disease is more time spending on life and living mm-hmm. and less time spent on the nitty-gritty of the illness. Okay. I think, you know, that's the, that's the, um, one of the good things about the support groups. You spend an hour, hour and a half a week concentrating on this. You go to the doctor, you get your treatment. All the other time should be spent on how you define life. Okay. You know, whether that's going to the movies, playing bridge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's very good advice. Um, and I know you touched on this before about, um, looking for support groups and how to find them. Um, it, if somebody, say, can't find a support group, um, you know, we talked about the online things, but are there other suggestions that you would have to for somebody to, to help find a community? You know, maybe they live in a very remote, isolated place. Um, is, are there other options besides online, or, or is that pretty well, much? Well, I, I think the online option is fabulous. You know, we didn't have that just a few short years ago, although True. first it came online, and then it took a while to get, the idea of advanced disease to be part of the online community. So we have that, we have telephone things. I think if I was, and I've suggested this, if you're in a remote community and being treated, you speak to the staff of, of your doctor's office. Okay. But you, I, I would think that you can't be the only patient that this doctor has who has metastatic disease and sort of urge the community, the healthcare community of wherever you watch it, try at least to put some people together. Okay, that's very good advice. Um, Ross, thank you so much for joining us today. I know we could probably talk for another hour about metastatic disease, and I am hoping that you will come back and join us again because we've just sort of touched on the surface of some very broad topics but we at breastcancer.org do want to keep metastatic disease um, in the forefront and talked about and raise awareness and hopefully help our members with metastatic disease cope a little bit better. So, Roz Kleban, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Is there anything? Oh, it, it, was, 
It was my pleasure, and to that end, I would be happy to come back whenever there is time on breastcancer.org. Oh, that's great. Is there anything you'd like to close with? Any last bit of advice? The, the um, way to combat the effects of cancer is to live large. That was a conclusion one of my groups came to, to just live large. And however you define that, that's what you need to do. That's perfect. Roz, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you.